Sound design. I don't know how to explain the musicians in a more passionate tone to say, like, you have to figure out where money is made. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Oakland, California. Welcome to Sound Design Live. I'm Nathan Lively. Today, I'm talking with the co-founder of music consultant, Rick Getz. Rick, thanks for coming on Sound Design Live. Thanks for having me, Nathan. I definitely want to talk to you about marketing and promotion and coaching, but first of all, Rick, what is your guilty pleasure pop song that you secretly listen to alone in the car? Um, as a Manhattanite, I, I don't have the the wonderful car listening experience that I used to as a suburbanite kid, mm-hmm. but um, I, I can tell you that my all-time favorite guilty pleasure record is George Michael's Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1, which is the <laughs> cheesiest record ever, but it's just... <laughs> It's just so sappy. Uh, I just, I just love it. I I can't say that you know I'm I'm uh, I'm doing cartwheels over modern pop music too much, but uh, you know which is good because if I told you it was you know uh, Iggy Azalea and J Lo's booty, I think I'd be much more embarrassed. Big big booty, but you got a big booty. Skipping down the streets of Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, it doesn't paint a pretty picture for a 200-pound guy. Yeah, not good. Okay, Rick. So the reason that I first wanted to talk to you was because the tagline on your website says, Music Consultant is a boutique music marketing firm specializing in developing enduring artist careers. And I like this because my mission is to help sound engineers build a lifelong career in audio that they can be proud of. So I immediately saw the connection, and I wondered if you would explain what that means to you, to to create an enduring lifelong career in, in a field that's fairly easy to get into, that is, there's really no special certification or license required for you to pick up a drum and call yourself an artist, right? But there are special skills, attitudes, and strategies required to turn that initial idea or passion into a career. Well, I, I think a lot of what I do um, with people uh, when I start off with aspiring artists is I kind of try to help them figure out a way to migrate their lives so that they can uh, be creating in a way that that works for them. And it's it's not a, an easy thing to do. I mean, career reinvention, regardless of, of what you do for a living, is, is a really difficult thing because, let's face it, I mean, uh, at least for most of us, uh, so much of our time is just spent shoveling coal, uh, metaphorically speaking, to keep the engine going. Mm. So when you actually have to worry about where that train's going, and, and oftentimes, this is the case with music, when you realize that the track you're on is going off a cliff, it becomes, <laughs> uh, well, it, it does. I mean, you know, uh, hey, I signed a swing band in, in 1997, and it seemed like the thing to do at the time. And yeah. then three months later, uh, you couldn't get arrested with it. Uh, 
So, I mean, that's just uh, a dated example, but an example of how fickle things can be. So what I really try to do is I, I try to make sure that people are building skills, are diversifying their skill set in, in oftentimes, uh, and making sure that what they do in their life supports what they want to do creatively. And that can be as simple as, you know, somebody who's bartending for a living, uh, starts bartending at a, a, at a club where they're more likely to meet people, you know, be it a, a concert venue or otherwise, that, that they're more likely to interact with people. And at least there are ways of getting paid to make sure that you're also getting an education, even if that education is just who you're likely to run into. So at the most basic level, uh, I'm talking about orienting one's life towards productivity and long-term goals. If I want to pontificate on that a bit, I guess, uh, Really, it's making sure that you're setting yourself up, um, and as I'm speaking to audio engineers, it's no surprise, but I, I get a lot of musicians who, well, I write lyrics and I have a couple melodies, and I always encourage people to make sure that they're self-sufficient, because let's face it, like if you need to tour with five people, that's a really expensive proposition if you're hiring the right people. If you're somebody who can... Even if it's just basic accompaniment, if you can if you can just bang out a few chords and, and let your voice carry, that 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 will go a lot longer. So I, I think I'm, I'm the underlying message in, in that tagline is self sufficiency. If that makes any sense, that makes sense to me. Have, have you seen the movie Runaway Girls? I haven't. I just watched it last night. Um, it's about the first band that Joan Jed had when she was like 15. And the reason I bring it up is that it's kind of the opposite of what you're talking about. So this producer comes in, he sees like these wild girls, and he's like, okay, I can make money off of this, and um, I'm just going to make them stars. But they don't learn how to be artists or how to create a career for themselves. They just kind of learn to get drunk and do drugs and go on stage and act crazy. And then when that... And then when one person leaves and the band falls apart, then kind of everything falls apart. And Joan Jett, 16, ends up, you know, she has to spend a lot of time figuring out how to get back on her feet as a solo artist. Well, I, I, I think that's it. I, I think I like to prepare people for the fact that, you know, it's a matter of when, not if. Barring, you know, cases of divine intervention or Justin Bieberhood, that the rug is going to get pulled out from underneath you. And it's it's just making sure you have somewhere else to step. I mean, uh, being an entrepreneur of any kind, in my experience, is about just making sure you have your eye on that next lily pad you're going to jump on, you know, uh, because the one you're on is almost always sinking. Rick, you have worked with Kid Rock, Matchbox 20, Dream Theater, and Pantera, why do people come to you? What is their biggest problem that they need your help with? What happened in my particular case is uh, I was an ex-A&R guy, and um, being an A&R guy is, is uh, I'm definitely not crying. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a wonderful way to spend my 20s, you know, mm-hmm. inebri- inebriated at clubs um, <laughs> with an expense account. I mean, you know, like, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's an incredibly difficult job because let, let's face it like you know it, it seems like a great idea I'm paid to listen to music but uh, at the end of the day you are sorting through mediocrity because uh, as musicians we all know when you hear somebody else is a musician there's almost an obligatory eye roll it's like oh god you know oh, do I do I have to do I have to 
forced to smile when I listen to somebody's demo. I mean, I think we've all been there. My background as a record label person was wonderful for meeting people. It was wonderful for being close to uh, people who were enormously successful and learning from their successes and their mistakes. Um, but what happened to me personally is um, I didn't want to go back to being an A&R guy. I, I, you know, as often as I said no to people, I was uh, you know, said no to internally almost as often. Well, I really want to sign this and that's my job. Well, tough. So I didn't really want to do that. Uh, again, it was just very uh, emasculating, for lack of a better word. So mm -hmm. I, I set out on my own. And what I discovered is that when you're a guy who says no 99% of the time for a living, you don't necessarily get people on the phone anymore when you don't have a big bank behind you. <laughs> oh, no. um, so I, I liken being an XANR guy to uh, being a cop in prison. You know, no, nobody really wanted to, to take my advice on, yeah. on the music business, and I, I decided I still want to be in it, uh, a masochist, I guess. Like much what you, like you're doing, I, I decided, well, you know, I, I have all these connections and I, I have all of this information. I may as well share that and see if I can use this information um, with people who would find it valuable. And what I did is I put together the predecessor of musicconsultant.com, which was musician coaching, and I, I just started interviewing my peers and, and just making a name for myself as somebody who knew something about the business. And what started happening is people would hire me for coaching, and I, you know, they would most of them come back every couple of weeks, just, you know, oh, what am I doing with this, that, the other thing. And to answer part of your question just very simply, most people are just looking most people feel like they plateau at a business point. Most people feel like they have beat up their friends and family to get them down to a, a show or that they've plateaued in some way. I do work with engineers as well. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting the same old clients uh, or um, I'm having to cut my rate to, so severely to work with new people. I'm, I'm, I'm just in a rut. And having lived through that, having you know lived in the really awful pro bono kind of like I'll do anything just to get my name out there, mm -hmm. uh, I think what people started coming to me for originally was to make sure that they were able to present themselves as efficiently on pos uh, as possible on social media uh, and through search engine optimization. Um, mm, okay. With that basis, that that's you know saying you do digital marketing in 2015 is like having a hotel announce that they have color television. It's it's kind of implied. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I have to give credit. That's a Derek Sivers line, who's a, a, a great guy to look up for for aspiring yeah, musicians. Yeah, read Derek Sivers. He's good. It became people saying, "Well, uh, I really like what you've done with yourself personally, and you have this big background in music. Like, you know, how do how do I do that?" And it started off. Like that, I started off with unknown bands, just trying to break through a, a certain ceiling, and it's not always up to a, a marketing person. With with music, it's it's an amazing business, uh, not necessarily in a great way, because people create millions and millions of dollars worth of product without ever knowing if there's a, a market for it in the first place. Scary. Whereas if you, well, if you look at a traditional business, if you look at Colgate, they'll spend. Millions and millions of dollars determining whether you and I prefer white or off-white in the in the tube on our toothpaste, you mm -hmm. know. Um, whereas we'll we'll drop a million dollars on the product itself, and there's just there could be nobody who cares, and, and that <laughs> happens. Well, so it sounds like the big question that people come to you with, whatever they say, it sounds like the big question is, "What's next for me?" And it sounds like maybe um, some of the big details that you can help with are how you're being represented online. That's the most obvious one. My business now is more about supplanting what record labels 
used to do and what managers used to do. My business partners and I have a business where basically if you're aspiring and you either you feel like you're only going to get better and you don't want to part with 20% of your of your income in perpetuity, which is what you know, between 10 and 20 is what your average manager will be taking. Mm -hmm. And there's sunset clauses and potentially disastrous kind of contracts you can sign yourself into. And when somebody has an investor, they come to me and I I set them up with the right publicist and the right radio promotion. And I kind of quarterback their releases. And the the same is now working for the other side of the equation. When you have artists like we've worked with in the last couple of years, like Sting or Sarah Brightman or Carrie Underwood, it's a question of like, well, I want to keep my rights or I want somebody who has a, a reference to older artists because most, most labels now are, are doing template market plans that work great if you're uh, you know, a 22-year-old rapper but don't necessarily apply <laughs> to heritage artists. You know, St- Sting is not going to be tweeting six times a day. It's just not, <laughs> not going to happen. So many selfies over and over again. Yeah, well, uh, look, and it's a completely different kind of marketing at that point because once you have that kind of celebrity, it's a completely different kind of marketing and promotion. Uh, it's about you know uh, reputation control rather than reputation creating. You can find relevant links and more information about today's interview by using the search box on sounddesignlive.com. Rick, without getting too deep into the details, which we don't really have time for in this call, could could you give me an overview of the process of developing an artist's career? I mean, I know that that sounds like a big general question, but I was wondering if we could kind of start from a, a macro vision of what you do with clients. And if you don't mind, I'll, I may just jump in to occasionally see how we could apply some of that to the path of a sound engineer. No, of course. Look, I mean, it, it's very simple. I mean... The hardest part about making a sustainable business for me, and I only relate that because it's it's my challenge with a lot of musicians, is a lot of people come to me and they really don't know what they want. So when I find somebody who, you know, I, I can find some combination of I love your music slash, you know, I, I have to pay my rent kind of relationship with, I try to sit down with them and figure out just like, all right, I want to, I hear more than anything else, I want to get to the next level. And it bothers me only because I, I just don't think people know what that is for them. I, I feel like, you know, people ask me this big, broad question, and I'm not referring to yours, but people ask me this big, broad question. It's like they're expecting a Nintendo cheat code to come back. <laughs> you know? And that's just, unfortunately, it's it's... It's first about creating kind of or, or, or solidifying a vision for an artist. Like, all right, well, you want to be an engineer like or a producer. Um, let's talk about the reality constraints. Like, are you a guy with a family? Do you realistically want, live in Armpit, Ohio, where you're not, you know, you're realistically then going to be traveling to studios in New York, L.A., Nashville, Chicago, wherever else. Like I said at the beginning of the call, there's there's a whole lot of figuring out, like, what's reasonable within the scope of your life? So it's that question, is what, what do you want your life to look like? And, you know, it's a really difficult thing to find a producer now because I think a lot of guys who are producers and engineers, they really want to build their business to a point where uh, they wind up living wherever they damn well please and get, you know, uh, mixes, you know, Pro Tools files sent to them and send back finished mixes. And that's ideal, but of course, that requires building a reputation that's a lot harder to build in an era where it's not like 
there are all of these major studios who are going to be grooming kids with, you know, jobs that they can live on to, Mm -hmm. to learn, learn from senior people and meet people. But I guess that's the, the, the first question is like, all right, you know, who, who are you? I mean, it's a really hard navel gazing question, like, you know, and, and where do you want to be? And what does that, what does that really look like to you? So oftentimes when something's going to be a really intense project, I, I send people away for a couple of weeks and I'm like, all right, well, look, you know, if you want me to, if you want me to jump in with you, like figure out what your what this is going to look like for you. And then the next most important thing I can tell you is, is it's, you had better enjoy the day in day out, uh, and often unpleasant, you know, late night sessions. And, and, you know, if you're a musician touring and, you know, the inevitable, uh, occasional gig where you're going to be playing, you know, um, thank you very much. Please tip your bartenders. And, Oh, you are the bartenders and waitresses kind of gigs, (laughs) you know, I, I tell people like, you know, if, if they want to be famous, if they really just, you know, like want to, you know, uh, you know, if they're guys and they just want to get a lot of hot chicks, like there's there's easier ways to do that. I'm pretty sure there, there are books on that that are probably excellent now. Um, and if you want to just be famous, you can eat bugs on Fear Factor. But you know, if if you want to just figure out how to make music every day, that's that's an entirely different conversation, and it's not always glamorous. I mean, if you really love engineering, I mean, obviously you can't. Nails on a chalkboard is most representative for me by by thinking about Yoko Ono. So I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be an engineer just listening to Yoko Ono screech for hours and hours on end and trying <laughs> to figure out which take was better. So I mean, obviously, like the music has to be pretty good, but I, I think there are a lot of ways when you separate out all of the compare and despair bullshit we all go through in the entertainment industry. Why is so and so so successful? I'm just as good. Blah blah blah. I I, I think it comes down to a conversation of like, are you comfortable with the idea of always working? Are you comfortable with the idea of being happy when the records you're making are not always going to be your, your favorite record? Um, and my advice from there is just figuring out a way where they're migrating wherever they are in their lives right now to a space where they can carve out a living just to always be playing, to always be producing, to always be recording and or making music. Du stoß, stoß und lötsch in Twitty Befindst dir aussen als Intermitti Die Blick betrifft grad Null grad Alles läuft schief, aber du bist nicht schuld grad In college, my music theory teacher used to love to tell us the story that he has parents come to him with their students they say or or the just the students come and they say oh, I'd really like to I'd really like to learn to compose or I'd really like to learn to play music and he says oh, okay, well do you do you need to? Or are you already playing already? And they say, oh, well, no, I still need to, you know, I kind of need to learn what to do. And he, he's kind of like, well, if, if you're not doing it already and if you don't have to because it's like coming out of you uncontrollably, then I can't really help you. You're, you're kind of lost already. And it already seems so negative to me. But, you know, now that I've worked with that idea a little bit, I, it makes more sense. Well, it, it's a really funny thing. Like in, in other industries, I mean, one of my the things I'm most passionate about is is surfing. And you know what? Like... Music is just this unique thing where you, you, so many people pick it up and they say, "Well, like you know, I have to do this forever." And like you know, like I surf as much as I can, but I have no desire to be Kelly Slater, you know. But I, I was the same way when I picked up a bass in 1989. I wanted to be Flea, and there was no deterring me from that. But when I started to look around at my friends who became very successful at that, it was it was the people who like 
and they didn't even like the gigs they were doing. They just like they just loved playing so much. And, and to your point, like if, if you're admiring that cross and saying, "Yeah, I could carry that bitch around," that's great. But if it's already nailed to you, that's that's the the long term commitment that somebody's <laughs> really going to need. Rick, what are some of the top mistakes that you see artists making as they attempt to grow their careers? Are there some things that you see people doing over and over again? And you're like, you know what? Um, I can already tell this is going to happen, so let me stop you before you start. I, I think people are just waiting for this big break that I think is a myth. As a kid, I played with um, a guy named Gabe Roth who founded uh, Daptone Records and is you know, band leader for Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings and, and was the engineer on uh, the Amy Winehouse big record. And that's, that's his whole thing. It's just like, I, I haven't done anything different for 15 years. I just, you know, and people, have, people started coming out of the woodwork 15 years later and going, how does it feel to be an overnight success? Oh, so the reason that... Um, the big break is a myth is because it doesn't really happen overnight. It may be ultimately a big break, but maybe it takes 10 years. I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I, I think there's this kind of American dream kind of ideal that, you know, like, yeah, I've never written a novel before, but like so-and-so did it. And, you know, Justin Bieber threw a video on YouTube and look what happened to him. And I, I think people are waiting to get struck by lightning. So I think not self-starting, I think... I think throwing in the towel too early is is a, is a big problem I see all the time. And of mm. course, there's there's the classic one, which is uh, the music business was set up by by gamblers and thieves. I mean, <laughs> it, it's music publishing is not understood by some of the heads of the major music publishing companies, and not the nuances of it anyway. I mean, it, it's it's opaque and murky, and and every every different music usage has a variety of rights that don't. I mean, like it. It's taken me years just to scratch the surface with it, and I don't know how to explain to, mu to, to musicians in a more passionate tone to say, like, you have to figure out where money is made and what, I mean, people don't even sign, you know, there's, I, I meet people all the time who have money in the pipeline from performance royalties organizations and, and sound exchange and, you know, God only knows where else. And, and they just, they never filled, filled out the paperwork because one day I was going to have a manager who was going to do that for me kind of thing. And another thing is, I see people turn into that crusty old, and I'm guilty of it myself. I mean, you hang around the music business long enough, uh, you know, and I have a very dark sense of humor, but uh, at the end of the day, if I really hated this, I, I, I'd leave, you know, I'd, I'd do something else. Sure, but I, I find so. I, I find a lot of people who, like, just don't realize how beaten down they've, they've become. People who just like, well, you know, I tried that, it didn't work, I'm not going to try it again. Um, you've, you've met that older guitar player who's just like, he meets the young kid who's so full of piss and vinegar and excitement, and he's just like, ah, kid, that fucking guy, that'll never work. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to become that guy because uh, the success rate, I mean, success is so phenomenally pre precious in, in music and entertainment, like... Yeah, it's really easy to look around and say like, "Hey, these are horrible odds." But it's also really difficult to look around and say like, and really accurately remember even the little progress you made when you started. Be that just your ability, be that a lot of things, and, and then remember that what carried a lot of people so far was that initial enthusiasm that is so quickly gone. Well, Rick, to to that point, 
I have to say that's why one of the reasons that I really like coaching is that it's my job to hold my clients to their highest selves and to remind them how far they've come and to, I don't know, kind of keep that motivation up at the right place and and help them not get into that burned out place where no one wants to work with them. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's not an easy thing to do. It, it's really not. It's 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 hard to it's hard to remind people um, that grinding out a living is a really amazing thing to have built. If you're if you're getting by in music, it's it's especially right now. I mean, I. I some days I'm optimistic, some days I'm not, that this industry will right itself and that there'll be real value uh, in, in music again as far as different rights and different ways of experiencing it that pay artists appropriately. But I, I think people often forget that it's, it's, it's a business that you know, will always have a 1% and that making a living at it is, is, a, real, is a real triumph. Thanks for listening to Sound Design Live. If you're here because you're working on building your career as a sound engineer, then I'd like to invite you to sign up for two new free online courses. The first one is how to make money as a sound engineer, and the second one is intro to sound system tuning. These two courses contain my best material from the last three years on mastering your craft and finding more of the work that you love. To sign up for these two free courses, just grab your phone and I'll wait. I'll wait. And text your email address to 747-666-5768. Or head over to sounddesignlive.com. One more time, to sign up for How to Make Money as a Sound Engineer and Intro to Sound System Tuning, text your email address to 747-666-5768. Or visit sounddesignlive.com. Well, Rick, can you give me some coaching tips? Is there anything that you've seen work over and over again with your clients in terms of strategies that you give them or um, uh, next steps that you help them take that, I don't know, have seen some success in the world? People are off in different times, but at the most basic, that people have established a website that conveys who they are, what their specialties are, um, why they're important, um, that they're consistently putting out uh, product uh, and examples of that product online. Um, and another thing is that they're they're networking with their peers and they're collaborating and they don't get their let their ego get in the way of things uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a songwriter i suggest that people co-write all the time as a as a as an engineer or a mixer i, I suggest strongly you know just inviting somebody out with you know a, a well thought out even if it's a cold email like you know I'm writing to you because you've done x y and z and i really admire you know specifics um I see people sending mass cold emails that just you just know no you know all of these people on this list. That's another thing. You know, the BCC was in, created for a reason. But I, I get these emails all the time. It's just like, hey, I have music and it's great, and it's it's me and it's you know seventeen record label employees and a dozen publishers, and it's just like you know that's not going to get move the needle. But mm-hmm. 
approaching people like a human being, which is really harder and harder to do in the digital age and just saying like, Hey, you know what? I see you've done X, Y, and Z and I'd really love to buy you a cup of coffee sometime and talk shop. I mean, you know, finding, finding mentors, finding peers and finding people to mentor yourself, I think is really important. So that, that connectivity I think is always really, really helpful to have like a, a group of people and, and, you know, to remember that you're not in this alone. Rick, I want to talk about your interview with Michael Fish Herring. Mm-hmm. Um, he said in the interview, a lot of people get locked into a steady gig and think, this is my gig, I have to do it. They get locked into something local and don't take any risks because they get comfortable. What a lot of people think is, there's no way I can break into something bigger. Um, and then one more quote from him, if you're gigging and gigging and not getting anywhere, you need to change your surroundings. I would say that a lot of my clients feel the same way. Um, they are doing some work, but they desperately want to work on bigger, more challenging projects, but they feel stuck in their current situation. So what are some of the keys to expanding your opportunities to start playing at a higher level? And what have you seen work well with some of your clients? I think people have to be willing to get out of their comfort zone. I think people have to be willing to swallow their pride and play second fiddle to somebody who, you know, if they can't admit that they're better, they're at least different. I think people have to start um, expanding the repertoire. I mean, it, it's like anything else. It's like it's like going to the gym. Like you can gain a lot of momentum by by doing the same routine over and over again until you plateau, and then you have to mix things up. I still do pro bono work when I think that the conversations I'm going to have on somebody else uh, on somebody's behalf are going to have me meet interesting people and learn interesting things. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not like I have the time for it necessarily if you were to look at it purely by the books, but I, I do it because I, I you know, um, I started working with a, a, a platform that uh, helps artists monetize YouTube covers legally. And, you know, I, I I volunteered my time because I have a certain amount of expertise that applies uh, and a whole lot more that I want to learn and people who are involved in that business that that I really want to get to know. And, and, you know, I want to be better at what I do and I want to be more well-rounded. And uh, as such, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm basically an intern uh, uh, on that project as far as my, my compensation goes. Do you think you can tell me anything about the greatest need for talented audio professionals now and in the future? I mean, are you hearing anything about people saying, oh, there's just no good sound engineers in blank? Or um, I just can't find a really good someone to help me with this audio problem. What areas should recording and live production staff be looking at and what relationships should they be building? I certainly don't think I'm going to reinvent the wheel with anything I'm going to say. I, I, I will say that somebody who can move over into sound design and Foley is going to work a lot more than somebody who's just doing music engineering. Mm-hmm. You know, some somebody, and I, I know very little about it, but I know the guys who do it and who can go back and forth, um, who would get a call for, you know, doing some soundtrack work or for some, you know, just some beds and then turn around and say, oh, well, well, you know, what do you mean you don't have anybody to do the Foley? I I can do that. You know, I mean, I I think being somebody who can cross back and forth between the different types is an extraordinarily valuable uh, resource and somebody, you know, somebody who can work a lot just because there are a lot of back doors 
into work if you have a secondary skill set or a related skill set. I also don't know a lot about this, but I wonder if artists coming in for recording would appreciate or in the future maybe expect that you would also be doing something for video for them. In the same way that now we don't just produce a CD and hand it to them, like we also convert those into MP3s and maybe, you know, put together the information that they would need to put it on a website and, you know, more in the package of delivery. I wonder if video would be connected to that in the future as well. Um, I certainly know people who get those calls and I certainly know that it's basically like collecting a second paycheck because let's face it, if, if you're recording uh, a record or an EP with somebody and you're spending that much quality time in, in, in the studio, they would rather work with you than some unknown entity and if you have credits to back that, even if they're limited, I think that's an, an enormous step up. Rick, where is the best place for people to follow your work online? Musicconsultant.com has a blog that uh, we, we publish twice a week, and uh, we're also on Twitter at, at the handle at Music Coaching and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash music coaching as well. Sound design. Ficken. Luxus, du zitlose zieht geistlich gewollte, schon so wie kreist, reich wie die Wand. Thanks to Rap Bell for all of the music in today's episode. You can find them at rapbau.ch. Rap Bell. Hope that's how you say that. Rote Flesse schmuckt aus der Flasche. Die, wo die nicht handwand, und denen, wo die Hand lang schnitt. Mit allen Körsch, vor allen Wirsch begehrt. Bist du Pyramide-Spitz, wo nie gehört? Nur zu 